Amen is right. Thank you, TJ. Lord, answer our prayer this morning that you would bring revival to our nation, to our world, to our very hearts. Holy Spirit, we need you. Fill us, direct us to you. May we love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. That's Psalm 119, verses 1 through 5. How many of you guys have ever been lost? You ever been traveling, whether it's out of the state, within the state, within this very city, and you've come to the point of realization, I got no idea where I am, and I don't know how to get to where I need to be. I think we've all experienced that at some point. But I promise you that we would experience it a lot more if humanity hadn't invented the GPS, the global positioning system, which tells you, gives you precise directions of how to go. And even for your own desire or preference, you could have a British voice, an Australian voice, turn left in 500 feet. And it's so delightful that you don't have this feeling of, where am I? How do I get to where I need to be? Now, that's all great, except when the GPS doesn't work. And uh, for those of you that like travel in the mountains and stuff, sometimes the GPS doesn't work. And for those that are directionally challenged like myself, it's not a great situation. So last summer, we were going to Hume Lake summer camp, and it was an awesome trip. But the beginning was a little rough. You see, it's not that hard of a place to get to, right? Hume Lake, it's pretty straightforward, except this guy right here missed a crucial turn within the park. And so we keep going, and everything looks about the same. There's a tree and another tree, and oh, there's a rock, <laughs> another rock. And, you know, it's taking a little more time than I thought it would take. And the kids, the students, they're absolutely amped to be at camp because they have been consuming sugar since the second they left their parents' side. And so every other minute, they're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there, but can we please be there soon? I really hope so. And so when you're lost sometimes, maybe it's just me, but you think, you know what? If I just give it a couple more minutes, just a couple more minutes, something will start to look familiar. But it's another tree and a rock, and I'm like, I don't know. It all looks about the same to me. And it took about, uh, I think, seven times for Audrey, who was sitting in passenger seat, to be like, dude, driver guy, you're lost. Admit it. We need to turn around and go back. And for me to finally be like, fine, the British voice has left me. And I turned around and we came back. So I'm still working here 
because <laughs> we found the crucial turn that I missed. And so GPS is not helpful uh, in that situation, but it's usually very helpful. So you see the Bible, it talks a lot about, it uses the metaphor of walking or a journey or paths or God, your ways. And uh, for all you Awana kids out there, I know you're restarting Awana pretty soon. We have an amazing tech genius, Zach Cardoza, who invented this app. So for all you online, if you have kids that want to get involved in Awana, call uh, Miss Brittany Kalmink. She's going to hook you up with Awana. But kids, if you would, look at all the times when you're memorizing verses, how many times it mentions walking or a path. And so, but in our lives, how do we know what path to take? How do we know what direction to go to? I opened up with Psalm 119 this morning because the psalmist, he is, he is absolutely in love that God has given humanity, has actually revealed the actual will of what God wants for us. And that's a beautiful thing. We don't have to be traveling in circles. We don't have to be lost. But then, in fact, we have God's direction but our world today, especially in this pluralistic society, there are so many different paths or options available. In fact, if, whether it's at your school or your work or social media, these social influences, everyone's proclaiming and yelling, this is the right path. This is how you should live your life. And, you know, as John talked about last week, our lives are very short and so do we spend all our lives just trying to figure it out? Or, or can we actually say, this is the right path. This is the true path. What do we do, as John poignantly pointed out last week, that with that dash between our birthday and our death day, what do we do with our lives? What is the GPS to life? Is there a North Star that's guiding us through this confusing landscape of our lives? And so for the next two weeks, uh, Stephen, Elliot, and I had the great privilege to preach to you guys. And so we're doing this short little series called The Greats. And this really is the GPS to our life. And the great commandment is what we're talking about this morning. And next week, Stephen Elliot will be talking about the great commission. And so this really is God's direction for our lives. And so as we talk about the law this morning, there are so many laws in the neighborhood of like 613 of them in the Old Testament. And a lot of them are what is called case law. So they're very time and cultural specific. They don't really have anything to do with us. And so what we have to ask is, is there something that's foundational? Is there something that really undergirds every law? And so that whatever situation you find yourself in, whether it's in your, your school, whether it's in your work, your life, is there one law that could really guide everything that we do? And that, in fact, all these other case laws are always pointing and really finding their foundation on. And, in fact, Jesus was, was asked a question which brought this answer, that Jesus was asked, which of the commandments in the Torah, which is the greatest? And the answer to that is our life's GPS. If you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew 22, 34 through 40 this morning. 
a little context before we read is this passage is found in two of our four Gospels. It's found in Mark chapter 12 as well. We're taking it in Matthew this morning. The context is the same. These are parallel passages, um, but I'd, I'd advise you to read Mark. It has a little extra stuff added to it. Um, but in this passage, Jesus is on trial before he's on trial. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, these religious leaders, they are trying to test Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. They're trying to ask him these questions to actually incriminate him somehow because they're looking to find a way to murder him. You see, this is the very last week of Jesus' life. I mentioned next week we're going to be in the Great Commission, which is, which is in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 27, Jesus is crucified on a cross. And so this is Matthew 22. This is very close to his death. And so this is not uh, a genuine, devout believers wondering, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? They're looking, they're actually looking to incriminate Jesus. They're looking to test him. And so it's an interesting context because although Jesus, he says the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself, these men who are testing Jesus are not in fact following that. And they're going to murder him in a few chapters later. So Jesus is not answering this question on a nice, comfy couch. But yet, this is his life's direction, and this is our life direction. So let me read the passage in Matthew 22, verse 34 through 40. It says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. They got a little huddled together, and one of them, a lawyer, steps forward and asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So our main point this morning is that our direction in life is to love God with all our inner being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I was in, uh, I was in college once and the first day of English 1, before we even really met any of our classmates, never really talked to our teacher, she opened up the class by asking every individual in the class, went down the row, not a minor question, she said, what is the meaning of life? And every person had to answer that. Without even really knowing anyone, you just had to straight up just say what you thought the meaning of life was. And so majority of the responses fell in one of these three categories. First, there was the agnostic answer, which was simply, I don't know. And this was most of the students. I don't know. So if there is a GPS to life, if there is a direction, I don't know what it is. I don't know where to go. Or it's the atheistic answer with second, which is the more certain answer. There is no meaning of life. There is no road, there is no direction, there is no GPS. It's just do whatever you want. It has no meaning anyways. 
Or there was the third, which was the subjective humanist answer, which is the meaning of life is what you, what you determine it to be. So you create your own map. You create your own road. And everyone's road could be different. It will be different because it's you. You determine your own meaning. But you see in this passage, God gives us the path, the direction of your life. What we do in this short amount of time, in that dash between our birthday and our death day, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we have God's GPS. We have his direction. We have his guidance of what to do with this life. And you see how the psalmist in 119 loves, loves that God has given it to us. That we don't have to go in circles. We don't have to ask the question of, what do I do with this life? What is the meaning of my life? No, we have it. It's been revealed to us by our great God. So go and do it. Go and do it. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not as simple as that, is it? <laughs> if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you realize, although it, it's simple enough, it's, it's the direction, it's not as easy as just going doing it, right? So I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. I love that quote because there's just some experience in that. Like this guy has tried it and he's realized that he has fallen far short of what his ideal or what his direction or where he wants to go. And then he's realized something about himself. That he's not as good of a guy as he thought he was or, or that he's trying to be. You see, it's like we, we have the direction. We know where to go, but we don't have the fuel to get us there. It's like we know where to go. Like you could look on your phone to go to Mount Everest, jump on a plane, go to Nepal. But it's a whole other thing to actually climb the mountain itself. We know where it is, but how, do you, how are you actually going to do that? And see, the problem, the problem is the heart, right? The heart is the problem, is that we, we don't always love God with our inner being. But you see, that's what God wants from us. That's what he desires from us. He doesn't want a facade, he doesn't want just the external actions, but he wants the very inner being of each and every one of us. But the inner being is very difficult. It's, it's very hard to actually give all of our lives and all of our feelings and all of our direction to him, right? All of our loyalty, all of our devotion, all of our inner self. But this God who created the external, he also creates the internal. He wants the whole person. He wants the whole person to love him, to follow him, 
to give everything to him. And you see, this is what makes Jesus actually the most challenging teacher ever. Because most philosophers or ethicists, they just care about the external actions, what your behavior, what you do. Jesus is really concerned about the heart of a person, why you do what you do. Not merely the external, but the internal as well. Doing the right thing for the right reason. You see, in the the Sermon on the Mount, which I would refer everyone to go back and read and meditate because this is not only Jesus' greatest ethical teaching, but it's about this idea that God, what Jesus says that God wants is the inner heart of a person. And in Matthew chapter 6, this is classic case of this because he looks at the Pharisees, he looks at these, these religious leaders who are doing all the right things on the outside, but they're not doing it for the love of God. They're fasting, they're praying, they're giving to the poor, but they're doing it for the love of humanity. They're doing it for self-glory. Jesus says they do these things in order to be seen by others. That's why they do what they do. But you, you for prayer, right? To go in your own room, to be in secret, to pray in secret. Why? Your heavenly father who is in secret sees that and he will reward you. You're doing it because you love God, not in order to be seen by others. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Don't blow this trumpet to say, look how great I am. Look how awesome I'm giving to the poor and all this. What God wants is the heart, not just these external actions to try to gain reputation, to try to show to everyone, look how great I am, look how holy I am. Because God wants you to truly love him with all your heart, not just so that you can have people say, oh, what a great person he is. Because God sees right through you, right into the heart of each and every one of us. Jesus has this x-ray vision. He sees right into our motives. In fact, the next chapter, in chapter 23, Jesus, he goes off. (laughs) He goes on this rant against these scribes and Pharisees. And the whole thing is about, he uses this one line of hypocrite, hypocrite, hypocrite. Which is a Greek word that means actor, essentially. It's someone who wears a mask. Jesus' biggest problem with these religious leaders is they're not actually doing any of these things for the love of God. They're doing it for themselves. They don't actually truly love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. And yet every single person in that culture, you ask this Pharisee, is he great? They would say, yeah, look at what he does. Look at all the things that I wish I could do. But Jesus has x-ray vision. He can see right into this guy's heart, something that we can't do, but Jesus can. He can see right into this guy's heart and know that he's lacking the true love, the true piety that God wants from us. In fact, the, the great 
uh, Luke 18 with this Pharisee and the tax collector. I love this parable. It's so challenging because the person you would think that God would justify in this situation is the Pharisee, but yet God chooses the tax collector, this, this classic sinner. And why does God justify him? It's because this guy, instead of saying how great he is, he actually can't even look up to heaven. He beats his, his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. That's a guy who has come to the end and realized he doesn't have it. And he needs the mercy of God. And you see, we all fall short. We all fail to love him. And so this is why the New Testament often has this negative impression of the law. Because the law then becomes our enemy. The law becomes our accuser. The law becomes our condemner. Because it says, this is the standard. You failed to meet the standard. Therefore, you're condemned. And this is why as Christians, I can't just say, hey, go and do the law. Because for us, it's always gospel first. Romans 8.1. It says that there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. For those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Because... Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it for us because we failed to do it. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. So before we say go and love God, we first say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, but a gift of God. Before we say go and love God, we say Romans 5:1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we say go and love God, we say, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's gospel before law. It's what God has done, it's what God has done for us, rather than just what we are to do first. It's what God has done for us already in Jesus Christ. In 1 John 4.10, it says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice of our sin. And you see, the powerful thing about this is that grace is transformative. Grace is transformative. Not the law. The law does not change the heart, but grace does. Instead of seeing God as this great taskmaster, as this hard-nosed enslaver, no, we see now God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. God is patient. God is forgiving. God is love. And now we want to love this God who has loved us in Jesus Christ, the one that gave his life for us. And so now we don't follow this law out of fear, but because now we have Christ, because we have forgiveness, we have no condemnation in him. Now because God has given his love, we want to respond in love to him. And so to love God 
so often we do this. We, we look at ourselves. We, we do a lot of navel-gazing. We ask questions like, do I love God enough? Do I love him enough? Do I love him enough? It's kind of like that question, are we there yet? Are we there yet? You can't love God by looking at yourself. The way to love God is to look at his face, to look at his face in Jesus Christ, to behold the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God. It's to look at him. And then when we see his face, when we see his goodness, our hearts are transformed. And we say, Lord, I want to give you everything. I want to give you all my life, all my soul, all my mind. It's because of his great love for us. And you know, God has given us this internal aid as we sang that beautiful song, Lord's in Revival. He's given us the Holy Spirit, this internal aid that helps us to love him. As he says in Galatians 4, 7, that he's poured his spirit into our hearts so that we can cry, Abba, Father. Which fulfills the, the great prophecies of Ezekiel 36, Jeremiah 32. The Spirit helps us. And so the solution is not more law. The solution is not law, but spirit. Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. And it's a spiritual problem that we have. This lack of love in our hearts. And so the solution is spirit. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Well, the second, Jesus, he, he gives a, a bonus commandment, really. Because the, the first one, he says, what's the greatest commandment? He doesn't say what, which two. He says, what is the, the one? And Jesus, he, he comes up, and he, as we've already talked about, the love of God. But he gives a second. He says a second. And he quotes Leviticus 19.18, to love your neighbor as yourself, which is a variation of the golden rule that Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so Jesus, he, he doesn't just give one commandment, he gives two. And the reason is you can't divorce these two commandments. You can't separate them. You can't choose one rather than the other. They go together. You have to love God, but you also have to love your neighbor. You can't, in the name of God, hate your neighbor. Jesus doesn't allow this to happen. As 1 John 4, 20 and 21 says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He doesn't actually love God. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So in fact, this actually becomes a test of our devotion to God. If we say, Lord God, I love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and he says, Great, now go love your neighbor, because that's who I love. If we love God, then we're going to love what he loves. But if we say we love God, but we hate our brother, what we're actually doing is we're creating God in our image, that God loves exactly how we love, God loves exactly what we love. And so when we actually, we're looking at is a mirror, that God actually looks just like us. And then, in fact, our God becomes us. But God loves your neighbor. God loves, and Jesus says this in uh, Luke 10, well, who is your neighbor? He tells this amazing story, challenging story about the great Samaritan. 
The good Samaritan, I should say. He's also great. But the good Samaritan, that loving our enemy and loving our neighbor is the same thing. But you see, loving your neighbor can actually be harder, right? Because God is beautiful. God is good. God is kind. He's gracious. Your neighbor can often be ugly, can be time-consuming, inconvenient, needy, hard-hearted, calloused, jealous, slanderous, things that you don't like. And yet God calls us to love our neighbor. And also going back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus in chapter 7, he talks about the plank in our own eye. If we were to just take a second and reflect upon our own selves and see, you know what? Often we are time-consuming, inconvenient, hard-hearted, calloused, not always easy to love. And yet God loves us, and yet God's forgiving to us, and yet God's gracious to us. So how can we accept the love of God for us and then not give it to our brother, not give it to our sister, not give it to our neighbor, not give it to our enemy? And, you know, this preaches itself in this election year and this politicized pandemic and these protests. There's plenty, there's always plenty of opportunities to practice loving your neighbor. But we don't do it in our own strength. The Holy Spirit, he who changes us to love God, also changes us to love our neighbor. That it's a spiritual problem, and the answer, the solution, is the Holy Spirit. So love. Love is the the purpose. It's the direction of our lives. And, you know, 1 John 4 says that God is love. And if we are made in his image, then we are to love. We are to be people of love. And love is other-centered. It's, it's not self-centered. It's, it's often been said about the, the horizontal and vertical elements, that the vertical is to love God and the horizontal is to love others, but it's not about loving ourselves. But self-love often, when we take that road, when we go down that road, we descend into chaos and much of the problems, whether it's internal of ourselves or the, the bigger society, political ramifications, self-love is the cause of most of our problems. But the road out, the road out of chaos into God's meaningful direction for our lives is to love him, is to love God with all our hearts, in all our soul, in all our mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And this leads to the Great Commission, which we're going to talk about next week. Hope you guys come back next week, you online, that you would check in next week with us. As Stephen Elliott, Pastor Stephen, is going to talk about the second great, the Great Commission. When we love God, we want God's glory to be known in all nations. And when we see our neighbor and their need for Christ, we want them to know the saving love of Jesus. But I'm going to end today before we sing our last song of worship with Psalm 119, verse 5. 
I love this verse because he's crying out to God that he would be a person who is faithful to following God's direction for his life. And as we, we discussed this morning, that's to love God with all our hearts and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Psalm 119.5, Oh, that our ways may be steadfast, O Lord, in keeping your statutes. God, may you answer our prayer this morning that you would help us to love you truly from our inner being with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And Lord God, help us to also love our neighbor as ourselves, that we would want to do anything that would benefit them, that they would, we would want your best for our neighbor. Lord God, help us, Holy Spirit, as we already sang earlier, bring revival to our hearts. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.